3: Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the Cards and St. Louis Sports on 101 ESPN.
2: The test of time over
1: 162 usually comes down to how well you pitch and do you have enough bullets in the arms to get through it? And you know, this year, especially when you look back into April and May. I mean, think how many ball fours we were witnessing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just put it, put so much stress on everyone. And, you know, I think ultimately what people realized is, and I say people, our pitchers, is like, let the ball be put in play because most likely someone's going to catch it.
3: Yeah, that is John Moselock, the president of baseball operations, a few weeks ago here on 101 ESPN and talking about pitching, pitching the name of the game. And that's certainly the this, uh, situation with the St. Louis Cardinals, which we have talked about so much because of the elite defense that they had five gold glovers six that uh, were in contention for a gold glove welcome into the show is i guess it's kind of the friday edition it's thanksgiving eve that's bk i'm danny mack there's a lot to get into and brian walton of the cardinalnation.com will be our guest to we'll talk about the young prospects that uh, we think can make a difference for the cardinals moving forward but uh, bk the cardinals uh, do go out into the free agency market so we thought that they might do something with either max scherzer could be stroman could be Matz. those were the three guys that i pinpointed that really fit i mean there was just scherzer fits with everybody stroman everything jumps off the page and you say boy that's yeah that fits and then you say the same thing at least in my opinion with steven Matz, because he throws strikes he gets ground balls The ball is in play a lot with him. He's not going to strike out a lot of people, but with this defense, do you really have to? And I think the answer is no. I think if you throw strikes and you're consistent and give you the five, six, seven innings, this is exactly the guy that we were talking about yesterday. A number three, to me, he's not a one. He's not a two. He's a three or a four. And you got him for 44 million in four years. It makes sense.
1: It's a good signing. It, it really is. I, I don't love the four years. It's not, great, would, it's not
3: huge, but it's fine.
1: Yeah, I, I would prefer it to, to have been three years, but they got it down to $11 million per year by giving that fourth year. And also there were eight teams that had given out offers to Steven Metz. This was a guy that was wanted on the free agent market. And by the way, if you've seen anything this morning on Twitter, the Mets are pissed That they didn't get Steven Matz They wanted to match the deal That you gave to Steven Matz And their owner is out there saying That it's basically bad business that mats's agent didn't give them the opportunity to match it
3: this is the guy saying it's bad business yep yeah Uh um uh joel sherman said on twitter he said just talk to steve cohen and that is the mets owner Mm -hmm. on the phone he was angered that the mets were pursued uh by mats and his agent not vice versa Uh uh-huh and told the the new york mets were mats's first choice and that there was unfinished business with new york and he wanted to return Continuing, He said, most re- relationships I had with agents have been wonderful. The conversations have been good. They really have been. But here, this was different. This was something so over the line. I can't imagine what the agent was thinking in the context of how they reached out to us and the reasons they wanted to come back. I have ever had uh, with an agent, uh, I've never had to do that do that kind of negotiation with me before. Get over it. I mean, that's business. So
1: you're telling me an agent whose job... Is to drum up interest for his client. Called you to drum up interest for his client. You were interested and they ended up going elsewhere. Right. Welcome to free agency, Steve. Yeah. Sorry you got into the baseball business. We're
3: talking about a guy that has done billions of deals in the billions yeah so i mean you know come on it, this is business baby and there's a lot of people that were of looking- all people
1: to get upset about
3: steven bleep and matt's
1: this is what set you over the edge
3: well i it's know it's a good s- signing but somebody that's not is one greg amsinger from oh, cool. mlb network
1: his timeline to me is robbie ray you're gonna see a guy that's gonna have uh, a two
3: and a half rate potentially with the st louis cardinals uh win 15 or more games and
1: be in the mix. He, he he could be in the mix for a Cy Young. I'm that high on Steven Mats in St. Louis. Boy, I'm going to get really good odds on that one. Could what do you be you think FanDuel sportsbook has on that
3: on the Cy Young of, uh, chances of <laughs> Stephen Mats off the
1: board. I'm playing um, twenty on him.
3: Yeah, I don't I don't see him being a Cy Young candidate. However, I see him being a fit. I see him giving you some innings and giving you a chance to win. Now, I will say this, though. Look at his ground ball rate. It's about 50% almost. And his strike rate is very, very high. So what's the guy that we've been saying to go get? Get me a guy that throws strikes. Get me a guy that gives you ground balls. He was, by the way, averaging around 94.6 miles per hour with his fastball. So I think it's a good fit. I think, you know, if you put him in, let's say, a lesser team, you put him with the Pirates, you put him with the Cubs, you put him with... Milwaukee's not a good example because I'd actually think he'd be a good fit there. They've got decent defense. Hell, how about the Mets, the teams that he yeah. played on? And the, their defense was terrible. It was awful. And yeah. this is
1: why I'm actually really high on the signing. I get my jokes off, but it's actually a really good move for the Cardinals. The defense behind him when he was with the Mets ranked twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and twenty sixth in defensive runs saved in his last three years there when he was actually healthy to be able to perform in front of them. So they were bottom five defense yeah. all three years. The Cardinals have a legit at a minimum top three defense in baseball. I think you can make a pretty strong argument. I think we would all agree the best defense in baseball. This is the Mike Leek signing. If Mike Leak was like $7 million cheaper per year and also was playing in front of the best defense in the sport. That's the difference here. Yeah. Is I think people have a bad taste in their mouth when we mention the Mike Leek signing. Mike Leake was
3: just not a good fit, though, for the culture here in St. Totally Louis. Agree. I it, mean, I, I can just tell you, I know. It's, I loved Mike Leek, by the way. He was great to be around. Now, there are some that maybe are listening in the Cardinals front office are saying, now, wait a minute, Dan. No, I love being around him. He was fun to be around. Um, and when you got he and Lance Lynn together, it was really fun. You know, they're just bah, 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 you know, talking and and it just wasn't the right fit. It, he just didn't fit here. He wasn't like going to, to follow Adam Wainwright and all these different guys at that time and kind of fall into line. He you had know, his Stephen, own program.
1: Stephen Matz goes down to South America on mission trips and lives in Nashville and is married to a country singer like he's yeah. he's everything that makes sense here in St. Louis. But the defense, even if he was, even if Mike Leak was the perfect fit in terms of what he was in the clubhouse, it still wasn't. A fit in terms of what this team needed at the time. You Agreed. look at the defense that was behind him, it was Matt Adams and Aledmas Diaz and Johnny Peralta and Matt holiday and Randall Grichick and Matt Carpenter and Brandon Moss and Jed Jerko. Like, uh, that is not the same exactly. team that we're watching right now. And if you had him today as a better character guy or a guy that fit better with this city in this clubhouse and also one who was playing in front of this defense, I think it would have went a lot better for him here in St. Louis. That's what I'm expecting out of Stephen Matz. It's a good fit. The ballpark fits him because he yep. did have a home run issue in New York as well. Uh, New York is a top five home run park. St. Louis is a bottom five home run park in the sport. So it's all of the things that went poorly for Matz in New York make a lot more sense for him here. All of the things that St. Louis was looking for, he fits all of that criteria it's a smart move
3: so the 314 says danny max since everyone is upset over the nfl settlement they should pay for max scherzer to make this right perfect great we're gonna get into that by the way i know a lot of fans are are fired up over what's going on with the nfl settlement which was what 780 90 million dollars and then when you look at the PSL money return, that takes it over $800 million. So we're going to get into that later in the show. Normally, we always talk baseball. Uh, we were scheduled to do a lot of baseball. So uh, Steve and Matt signed. We want to do that here in the first segment. And coming up, we're going to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. I am fascinated now, BK, by the way, you know, Matt's is reasonable. You know, four years and $44 million, that's very reasonable. So, now, where do you go? Where do you spend that money? And it does pertain into what I want to get into with Brian Walton, because you got Yepes, you got Newt Bar, you've got some others that uh, could be your bench guys. Are you are you comfortable enough with them being young players coming off your bench, or you taking some of that money now that you have left over and going to to the relief corps? I, I still think they're going to sign a reliever. It could be Luis Garcia or somebody else, but a, a upper echelon reliever. Or is some of that money spent on the bench? So we're going to talk about that with Brian Walton. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. into the conversation. Brian Walton from thecardinalnation.com and it's a website that Brian has dedicated to uh, minor league baseball, but in particular the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. He writes, has an article there every single day whether it's on the Cardinals or the minor leagues. It's thecardinalnation.com 365 days a year. He does just a remarkable job following these kids that we talk about now. Brian's known about them for four or five years and can give you the uh, background, who their grandmother is, where they go Shopping at Schnooks, um, all that stuff. So, Brian, uh, thanks for coming on and hopping on with us in a busy day here in St. Louis and uh happy Thanksgiving to you.
2: Same to you, Dan. Uh, Nolan Gorman likes spinach on the side on, with his Thanksgiving dinner, by the way. Is that right?
3: Well, he can get yeah. that at Schnucks with their rewards app, but uh, I digress. Um, let's jump into the news of the day. I'll start with the Major League Club, uh, Stephen Matz. And you're based in that New York area, so I'm sure you saw Stephen Matz throw a lot with the Mets. And uh, now they've added him to the rotation for four years, $44 million. Just your initial thoughts, and we'll get into the prospects later, but your initial thoughts on Stephen Matz coming to St. Louis.
2: Mets had a, a reputation as a as an injury-prone guy. He had some injuries in 2019 that really limited him. Um, the Mets, he had one year left before free agency. The Mets flipped him to Toronto for prospects uh, a year ago, and most folks thought, well, you know, he'll – He'll play his time there and, and uh you know, be a middling free agent. But he really put his game together with Toronto last year, won fourteen games the RA under four, and elevated himself in the free agent market. But he wasn't quite to the level where the Blue Jays felt that they should give him the eighteen point four million qualifying offer, which would have tied him to Toronto for another season. They had some other needs on their, their team as well. And so Matt's became a really a desirable free agent because there was no compensation, no you know competitive uh, draft pick compensation tied to him, and the Cardinals were linked to him from the very start. Uh, they apparently checked the price on some of the the uh, other free agents out there, like Stroman and Scherzer, and decided that uh, if they could get Matt's for four years and and forty eight million tops, that they would go for it, and they were able to uh, get that accomplished uh, very very quickly.
1: Do you think their defense allowed them to be more aggressive in their pursuit of Steven Matz? Because when you look at the way that he pitches, it seems to fit well given what we saw last year this defense was able to do with strike throwers.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, BK. There's no doubt that the Cardinals know their strengths, which, be, which is a defensive team, a big ballpark in Bush, and he's a guy, as you mentioned, you know, should fit in very well with that team that the Cardinals have built uh, over the last few years.
3: Curious, uh, Brian, Arizona Fall League, a lot of Cardinals taking center stage. Yepes, uh, Palantes, you had uh, Newt Barr. Just your general thoughts and what you saw from, in particular, the Cardinal prospects um, at the Arizona Fall League.
2: Oh, the Cardinals, uh, I think, I've been going to the Arizona Fall League for almost 20 years and i go down and you know watch the cardinals every year and talk to them interview them and and watch their play very closely and i will tell you dan i don't believe that there's been a year in which the cardinals have had better offensive performers from top to bottom than they had this year. I mean, you look, Nolan Gorman only played basically a week at the beginning before he got hurt, but he was exceptional. Lars Newtbar, who really didn't get a lot of at-bats for as much as we saw him with St. Louis, you know, he got less than 250 plate appearances between the minor leagues and major leagues. So they wanted Lars to go down there and, you know, get some work. He told me that he was going to focus on showing a little more power, which is something that, you know, you'd hope to see from him. And he was among the league leaders in uh, in slugging, which was very good to see in terms of him, you know, probably locking down that fourth outfield spot with St. Louis. Brendan Donovan's a guy that we've watched for a long time. Uh, can play multiple positions, left-handed hitter, um, and you know he slashed uh, uh, three seventy-five, five sixty-five, six twenty-five. I mean, a really, really strong appearance, and, and he's a guy that uh, that could put himself in the derby for the infield uh, backup position at a time in uh, 2022. And then, of course, Juan Yepes, who's the player of the year across the Cardinal system, you know, just emerged with tremendous power numbers. And he was named the co-outstanding hitter of the Arizona Fall League. Um, And he and Newt Barr and... Uh, a, a pitcher, Andre Pallante, were named to the all AFL team, which was a really big honor. The Cardinals had three guys on that 12 man team. And, you know, of course, all 30 organizations are participating in the AFL. So it was a very, very good year for the Cardinals in the Arizona Fall League, especially on the hitting side.
1: Brian, tell me more about. Juan Yepes because he's a guy that I I have seen players like this come out with a big year basically every year for some team in baseball, right? You see him go from double A to triple A. They have the big season as a corner infielder or outfielder and then they end up being 4A players, but it feels like the Cardinals view him as being different. They seem to believe he can make that jump to the big league level. How do you view Juan Yepes' future here in St. Louis? Do you think he's a guy that really can translate to the big league level and have Success against big league pitching,
2: I don't know if he's going to be a, a major league regular. Juan Yepes we're talking about, but when the Cardinals got him for for Matt Adams back in 2017, you know he was still in the low minors, and there was a lot of talk about him having power potential. But frankly, from 17 through 19, he kind of disappointed. He had been pushed up to Double A and, and really didn't do much. But he really worked hard in the year off and came back as a different player this year. And you know he not only hit consistently at double-A, but when he moved up to triple-A, he didn't miss a beat. In fact, he got a little bit better at triple-A, and then now in the Arizona Fall League. Granted, the pitching wasn't as strong in the Arizona Fall League, but he really, really you know, performed well there consistently across the board this year. And I think the big factor for him in St. Louis is the fact that the days and going to be available because Juan Yepes is not a plus defender, whether you put him at third base, first base, corner outfield, but he's a guy with a bat. And with you know, with the opportunity, if the Cardinals mix and match with their designated hitter to give other guys off, and you know he can certainly fill in at first base. But that's probably his best position if needed. He's a guy that you know you you, you could have on your bench and have a little thump, which is something the Cardinals have missed coming off their bench the last few years.
3: I'm really curious now with Matt signing. I said this right before the break, Brian. I'm curious what you think, and you've seen kind of the direction under John Bozalock, how they like to push prospects, but. There's the 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 old adage of is a young player better getting every day at bats in the minor leagues or coming off the bench, and so now you've you've signed Mats at 44 million, and you've got money to play with with all the money that's coming off the books. I would look at them probably getting a reliever and then addressing the bench as well. Um, and so, are you better getting veterans or do you think that like a guy like Yepes and and I do think Nupar will be a part of the team, but Yepes specifically. Um, is somebody that comes off the bench, or do you think they start them in the minor leagues and play every day?
2: Well, it's going to depend on the size of the bench. Certainly, you know, with a 26 man roster and probably a 13 man pitching staff, you really only have four players on the bench now, considering one of them is going to be your designated hitter. And so you look at the infield, you got Sosa, who has no minor league options, you got Rondone, who may or may not you know, be kept around probably. I mean, you see certain get a credible job. Then you got Nuke bars. So you've only got really one other spot potentially if you kept everybody in the same place. And Yepes would be that guy right now. But you'd also like to see the Cardinals have a veteran bat, maybe an outfielder, um, you know, a, a guy that can potentially uh, perform well against right-handed pitching. So, yeah, I think I would hope that the Cardinals would go out and sign both what you said, which is an experienced reliever, and that could be Garcia, and then another experienced bat to bring off the bench. And if that means that some guys have to spend a little more time in the minor leagues, I mean, let's face, Yepes has uh, you know three more minor league option years remaining because he was just added to the roster uh, at the start of the uh, at the start of the wild card game. So you know it's not like he's going to die on the vine if he has to go back to AAA for a while.
1: Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Brian, you mentioned the bullpen and how you'd like to potentially see them go out there and get another arm for it. I did want to ask you about uh, somebody that is intrigued. I know Tanner Hendrickson, our producer, has talked about him quite a bit in recent weeks, and you mentioned his performance down in the Arizona Fall League, and that is Andre Palante am I am I pronouncing that correctly there um That's right. He he was great down in the Arizona Fall League. His numbers this year both uh in AA and then in AAA as well were really impressive. Is he a guy that you think could fit into the mix next year at some point in this bullpen?
2: Maybe later in the season, BK. But Pilante really spent most of the year at Double uh, A. He was one of the group of players at Springfield that got COVID, and so that kind of disrupted his season in August. But as you said, came back very strongly. I think Pelante has got to put in a good year in the in the Triple A rotation. Could be a guy available late in the season. But I mean, you got guys like Libertor, uh, especially who they could decide to work in in a in a relief role. Uh, they added uh, Walsh who also pitched in the Arizona Fall League to the 40-man, is a guy that's uh, pitching in the upper 90s uh, up to 100, didn't have a great fall league. Uh, Freddie Pacheco, who is our, as a guy most folks never heard of, he's our minor league pitcher of the year, relief pitcher of the year in the system. Uh, he was one of the young men who just got added to the 40-man roster. And here we're talking about a guy who strikes out 15 per nine innings. Oh. So the Cardinals have some very interesting young arms, but it's going to take a little time for them maybe to percolate a little more at Memphis.
3: In terms of Libertor, what do you think his track is starting uh, spring training of 2022?
2: I think that he'll likely unless there's injuries, I think he'll likely head the Memphis rotation. And then the question will be did the will the Cardinals work him in his first year as a reliever like they did with Carlos Martinez, like they did with Dakota Hudson, so many others in the past, or if there's injuries to the rotation, you know, will he be the you know, become the default number six guy? Now, you know, you still got Jake Woodford who's done a credible job and he's probably the number six guy on paper right now. And then you have the question marks which are Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks. And are they? They're going to come to camp and be on the starters' workload. But you know, how are they going to be deployed? So the Cardinals have a lot of options, and we know you know injuries are inevitable. So the team that you have on paper it may not be the team that you you know open the season with.
1: Brian, final two things that I've got for you: uh, Jordan Walker is a player that we have to ask you about every time that we have you on because he's just put together ridiculous numbers early on in his career in the minors. How far away do you think he is from the big leagues right now? And then, kind of sticking with that theme, Michael McGreevy was their first round pick a year ago. And he was a guy that people seemed to believe was potentially on the fast track to the big leagues. How, how long do you think it'll take for him to get here?
2: I think Jordan Walker is uh, an exceptional player. And I don't say this just because I follow the Cardinals. Uh, I believe, I mean, we saw him in double a with double digit totals of steals, more walks and strikeouts and, you know, power numbers that are Extremely impressive. I think we're going to see Jordan Walker at double A next year, and he could be a breakout player. Starting a year ago at this time, he wasn't a national top 100 prospect according to Baseball America or MLB Pipeline. That's changed, and I think we're going to see. I think Jordan Walker has the capability of having a huge year at double A, and that would put him, you know, maybe another year away or less from St. Louis. Um, McGreedy, it's still too early to tell. He pitched a full workload this spring for college, so the Cardinals only had him pitching an inning at a time. Uh, in very controlled minor league action, and to be honest, he wasn't all that impressive. I mean, he allowed a run pretty much every time out, but you know, that doesn't really say anything. I think McGreevy's got to get his feet on the ground, and we'll see what kind of guy he is in the ma- in the minor leagues. I, I don't really have a-, a timetable for him yet to reach majors, but I think Jordan Walker could be on the fast track if he plays next year like he played this year.
3: And Brian, i got a couple more questions for you. Um, housing in the minor leagues, uh, that has changed. Can you explain that to fans? And then a follow- Follow-up to that, with a pending um, lockout of the uh, of the players um, from the owners, how does that affect business in the minor leagues?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation, Dan. There's been a lot of pressure over time to improve pay and re- improve living conditions for the minor leaguers. And really, the pay has been the, the primary issue, and that's you know still being addressed, and I think that will continue, hopefully, to improve over time. But one of the big challenges for minor league players as they get moved around is their housing. And that is, you know... They have to go and sign a lease somewhere for six months or a year when they might only be in a, in a town for a short period of time. And that provides not only financial hardship, but also organizational hardship for the players as they move on. Okay, who's going to move in with them? How many guys are in with them? And so baseball has finally stepped up and said a couple of by the way a couple of teams did this prior to now but now they've implemented across the board and that is that the organizations will provide housing for the minor league players at every level and that just takes a huge burden off their shoulders and they can focus better on what they're supposed to do which is focus on baseball and playing baseball better so you know it's a positive certainly for the minor leagues in terms of the lockout what we're hearing is that it would only affect those players on the 40-man roster so when let's say spring camp is ready to Open in February, or for the minor leaguers, probably the beginning of March. If there's still a lockout going on, it appears that the minor leaguers would be exempt from that, and they would start the season, uh, the start spring training, and the season as normal. But that all remains to be seen, because let's face it, it's been twenty what twenty five years since baseball's had a, a labor stoppage.
3: Yeah, and we'll see what goes, and then you got to get prepared for the draft. So it'll be business as usual in that regard. My final question is, Nolan Gorman, um, do you think the Cardinals? And they have a goal glover at second base. Nolan Gorman is at second base. We've seen he can play third base at a high level. Number one, do the Cardinals break camp with Nolan Gorman as a DH or you know, a player that could be on this 26-man roster? Number two, what did you see defensively from Nolan Gorman at second base?
2: Nolan Gorman looks to be solid defensively at second base. I don't think he's as good of a defender as Tommy Edmund, but he's only been playing at less than one season. So we got to, you know consider that. But he moved ahead more aggressively to the point where the Cardinals have told, Nolan Gorman told me down in Arizona, he said, I am a second baseman. I'm not a multi-position. They told me I should become a second baseman. I am a second baseman. So, to start next season, again, assuming there's no injuries, because injuries or trades can change everything, but if everybody's healthy and things as they go as they are now, uh, I think Nolan Gorman will probably start the season in the minor leagues. But that doesn't mean that he won't get called up relatively soon. The other factor that we don't know anything about which is what will be the labor agreement under which players are playing because we know in the past teams have had a reason to keep players in the minor leagues for a while longer because that affects their their salary and of course free agency down the road the cardinals haven't been known for manipulating that in the past but as we talked about the roster you know you've got to decide what are they going to do with guys like sosa and rondone uh and it may be that nolan gorman you know starts 2022 in the minors but if so I don't expect that it's going to be a long-term thing, and he'll just have to wait for his opportunity, and it'll come soon enough.
3: What's, uh, what's happening at com? I'm sure you probably have something for the holidays or a gift or whatever may uh, be coming out on your website. What are you doing?
2: Well, the the big thing, in addition to all the news we're covering right now, is we've just started our top 50 prospect countdown for 2022. And we start at number 50. And we introduce one player per day. So we basically run until winter warm up when we announce number one. And the folks early on are going to learn about a number of players who they haven't heard of before, sort of like the Freddie Pachecos we talked about before, who are hopefully going to emerge in uh, 2022 for the Cardinals. So, you know, come there and, and read about uh, the prospects for next year right now.
3: Awesome stuff. Thanks, Brian, for hopping on and happy Thanksgiving. Bye now. All right, that's Brian Walton from thecardinalnation.com. By the way, the Royals announced that Wade Davis, retiring, he was a three time All Star, helped them win the World Series in 15. He had a three year run, 185 appearances, and a 118 ERA. I'm not sure anybody's had that in a three-year run with that many appearances. That might be the most dominant three-year run in the history of baseball. It's
1: actually even a little better than that. If you include the postseason, the ERA goes all the way down to a 1.08. Wow. He allowed one earned run in the 2014 and 2015 That's for incredible the, for the Royals. He, he had one of the most dominant stretches I've ever seen by a reliever. 207 innings from two, 2014 to 2016 with a 1.08 ERA. Pretty incredible.
3: Anybody closer? I gotta wonder, I mean, is has hater been there? Is over
1: a three year stretch? I might
3: be. Kimbrough might be uh you know he had that i bump would have in the road. to
1: imagine there was a chapel bond was really good for vera who was yeah that would be the would other one probably would have been close trevor um, hoffman maybe but yeah i mean it's up there with the best of wow. them in terms of most dominance that you've seen by any one individual
3: all right we're going to get into what bk thinks of this rams situation that the lawsuit has been settled we'll give you some of those details when we come back Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101
1: ESPN.
3: So normally, we're always talking uh, baseball for the most part on the uh, 10 o'clock hour of 101 ESPN. And Randy Carricker just texted me the NFL just signed. It's done. It's a done deal. So it's over $790 million uh, being awarded the, uh, the city of St. Louis um, in this settlement. Let's make no debate about this. A trial would have been awesome. It would have been fun to see. It would have been great to see. By the way, through Missouri law, my understanding is. You would not have seen cronkie Goodell, uh, Demoff, the various nefarious characters that are involved in this. It would have been a, a recording of their depositions that would have been on uh, display. It would have been fascinating to see. Could you have gotten $3 billion, $4 billion? Who knows? If I would have told you BK at uh, 2017, the city is going to get over $800 million out of the pockets of Stan Kroenke and the owners, would you have taken it? I think the majority of fans would have. Things changed, though. Things were being floated out there. We were hearing some awful things with emails and phone calls and phone records and various things that were happening that the were
1: owners literally turned on one
3: another yes and and that was it was get your popcorn ready so now the city is signed for seven hundred and ninety million dollars, as I said earlier, the fan in me is pissed because I want to see this thing go all the way through. Um, I want to see these people on trial. I want to see the NFL pay I want to see everything exposed. The realist in me, I guess, pragmatic person in me is saying it's $800 million coming to the city. Um, There's probably going to be now moving forward for other cities, guidelines for them. Doesn't help us, but there's going to be something that comes out of this for them. I'm happy for them. Did I want to see more? You bet I did. Um, But as I'm trying to be positive, as I always do... I look at it and I go, that's $800 million in the coffers of the city. Now, the lawyers are going to get 30 to 35% of that probably, and then the city and the county will split the rest. You can do a lot with that. What do you do with it? If you're the city, do you put it into the dome and renovate to try to bring big events to town, which is something that was said when the Rams left? Do you, you
1: know, do you build a smaller arena? you build a pretty nice arena
3: for that amount of money? What do you do? I mean, where does the money go? And now the pressure solely is on, in my opinion, Government officials to make sure that every dime nickel penny is accounted for, and explain to their constituents where this is going there's going to be sports fans that are saying, "I want to see where it's going there's going to be the average Joe out there that doesn't care about sports that wants to know that's eight hundred million going into your well roughly five to six hundred million going into the, your your city your region. what are you going to do with it It's found
1: money. It is. Uh, it also goes to multiple different entities, so we've got to keep that in mind as well. We don't have any of the details at this point on how this is going to get split up, who's getting what, where it's going. None of that has been determined, at least as far as we know publicly as of right now. Dan, I'm I'm pragmatic sometimes to a fault. Mm-hmm. Like I look at things typically pretty logically, even when there's like a discussion being had between myself and my fiance. She's much more on the emotional side of things. I am much more on the pragmatic side of things, and that can get me into trouble sometimes. Um and so this situation I I'm viewing it almost through that lens of like I understand if you're emotional about this and emotions aren't always pragmatic. The emotional argument here for St. Louis is take him to trial and make him squirm. Yeah. I don't care where it goes from there. I just want to see the league squirm. And if you're in that spot, if you're if that's how you're viewing this, I really do completely understand it. Well, and yeah, guys you guys turn on each other. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it makes all the sense in the world. That being said, man, it's $800 million. And the, the odds were, what would have happened here is you probably win bigger than $800 million in the initial decision. You, you probably do. But you, are you, though? That's the risk. You're probably,
3: playing poker. But there's probably. more than
1: just that risk. You then
3: go to an appeals court and it's going to get held up forever. And you have the risk of maybe not even getting to the 800 million. Correct. And that's where and things I don't think people understand difficult. that.
1: And like, there's the, a very good shot that that happens in, and, a, in and an it, appellate court. It wasn't possibly you're going to get appealed. You were like, Cronky was not just going to pay this out. If no. there was a decision that was made against him, he's going to take it to appeals court. And for the next potentially decade, you weren't going to see any of that money. I don't know what the timeline is going to be for this, but I have to imagine it's going to be much quicker than what it would have been had you gone to trial and then had to go to appeals court and then eventually maybe gotten a decision later on. So you do get something out of this. It's guaranteed. It's like the conversation we had yesterday, Dan, with uh, or that we've had in recent days about some of these young players that are signing in Major League Baseball. Why are they taking the money? Because somebody's telling them you're going to make $200 million over the next 10 years if you sign that dotted line. Yeah, maybe you could make $350 million if you don't sign right now. But that's a maybe. This is a guarantee. St. Louis just got a guarantee here. I understand if emotionally you don't like it, totally get that. You are well within your uh, realm to be in that spot. Totally I a, do understand why they would decide to settle, You know, even though it's disappointing.
3: It, it is disappointing in the regard of that you wanted to see everything aired, the dirty laundry. And in a way, though, the dirty laundry has been aired, um, and we've followed it in St. Louis. Um, you know, I mean, you had Kroenke putting the Rams as an L.A. business back in like 11 or 12. You had the uh, Demoff, uh, the Adios mf mm-hmm. uh, email that got exposed. Um, you had owners calling other people devious. So some of that stuff is out there. So they did get exposed in that way. Now it is on the Dome Authority, the county and the city to come up with a plan on how to distribute the funds and how are we going to use this. And I understand there are plenty of critics, plenty of them out there that'll say, hey, they're not going to do this right. They're not going to spend this money properly. And I get that. I get that, too. So do it right. Prove them wrong. And that's where you're at right now. If you would have said in 2017, BK, that you're going to have uh, the Taylor family step up with local ownership and they're, they're going to build this stadium on a blighted piece of property and bring MLS to town. And oh, by the way, the NFL is going to have to pay over $800 million. I think most people would have said, I'm signing up. But then this thing got further and further along and and attitudes and feelings about this changed. Again, I'm going to reiterate this, and I think you're with me. I totally get it. But if you're trying to be a little bit pragmatic about it and look at it in a different lens, that's not bad to get MLS, stadium, great ownership, league that's growing and exploding. We are the soccer capital of the United States. There's great soccer here with the younger levels of soccer. SLU obviously has had a historic program with 10 national championships, so on and so forth. So the soccer element came uh, full force. And they stepped up in a big way for the region, and he got $800 million from the NFL. That's one way to look at it, and the other way to look at it is, and I'm with a lot of fans. The fan of me comes out and says, man, I want to see this thing played through. You come at me with any any kind of settlement you want, I'm not doing it. We're going to trial. Now you you have that happen, and you win, and it gets held up in appeal for a long, long time and then all of a sudden you don't get the uh, the the amount that you thought it was coming your way 3 billion 4 billion and all of a sudden it's 500 million and you go man we passed up another 300 to 9 uh, to 400 million eh, you know so there's a lot to get into with this it's just it's an
1: emotional thing and i i understand that and the other thing to be uh that that we should probably mention here Dan is i a lot of people on our text line, 65780 is your comfort service text line. And by the way, we'll talk about this throughout the uh, the midday show as well with Alex Ferrario once he gets in. So if you've got a mic drop that you want to send in, feel free to do that. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. You guys can always get involved on the text line as well. Um, there's, there's a lot of emotions that are coming out saying basically something to the degree of I wanted to see him squirm. I wanted to see them admit publicly in court everything that we know. I don't know how to say this, Dan, other than a lot of that stuff, as you mentioned, has already been released. And again, this is not me having this point of view. This is nationally the way that people view it. People didn't care. They didn't want to hear it. They don't care what Stan Kroenke did to St. Louis. They don't care that he ripped the team from this city and then trashed the city on the way out. I hate it. You hate it. Tanner hates it. Everybody in our listening audience hates it and wanted to watch them squirm. But they have been squirming. They literally turned against one another in an owner's meeting in New York a month ago because they were trying to figure out who was going to have to pay this bill. And Kroenke said, no, bleep all you guys. I'm not paying that. So that stuff has happened. And what you have seen publicly, that's what was going to be aired out in court. Would you have gotten a couple other nice details that we would have enjoyed locally? 100%. Would it have cracked the news cycle nationally the week of the Super Bowl? No, they weren't going to care. I
3: disagree. I think you would have heard a lot about it. I disagree on that one. This was starting to gain steam with national people to the point that it was front page news at the L.A. Times.
1: nationally, people weren't paying attention to it like the media absolutely because they cover the league oh I think I think more people than
3: I think more people were starting to pay attention to it I understand if you're a sports fan and you're a Cleveland Browns fan you don't care what's going to St. Louis I understand that but you were going to have more and more of this stuff come out and if the league was going to be on the hook for five billion dollars that's a big story that would have gotten a lot of attention you've never had a league all of a sudden get sued by a city and the city wins and they get four to five billion dollars during your, your prime event, which is the Super Bowl, which by the way is in the city that you went to, it would have gotten a lot of attention. I I do have some questions though about like last night or during this time, who decided to settle? I, I would yeah. like to know who was in the room, uh, who ultimately decides to settle with that. Is is Tashara Jones, is Sam Page, uh who from the RSA is is speaking on their behalf? Did they have a voice at the table at all? Um my understanding is the owners are involved with this on the 790 million dollars. I asked Randy about that. I said, Is Stan Kroenke on the hook for the 790? But I'd like to hear officially. You know, are all the the, the owners involved in the 790? Is he paying the bulk of it? Do they split it? The you know, every which way. Um, you know, and and ultimately, why not go to trial? Explain it to average fan. Um, and maybe they don't owe me an explanation, and that's fine. But I, I think would they do. I, I would like to know. Why not go to trial? What was the deciding factor as to why you, you decided to say this is why we did it? And maybe it's some of the things we're talking about. Hey, we felt we could win, but through appeals and various things that would go- have gone through with this, uh, we weren't going to see that money for decades or whatever the case may be. I don't know of law. Um, and it was going to drop down to X amount of dollars. So we took what we knew was given. It was $800 million, and we ran with it. Okay. I
1: mean, I, I just those are some of the questions I have. I, I think they're all fair questions. They all deserve to be asked. And they – I, I – I... Actually, to stand up for your point, I actually think they do owe you that explanation. I think they owe people in St. Louis that explanation yeah. because this was on behalf of the people of sure. st louis and sure. if you're going to represent the people of st louis in this lawsuit yeah when you decide to settle i think that you owe that to them to explain why so you who decided has, to do so So i
3: guess the question then bk is who had the voices at the table exactly you know and who is the ultimate one to to, to sign out and and say okay i've taken in everybody's opinion this is what we're going to do interesting
1: i think it's worthy of discussion and i I think there are a lot of questions that still need to be asked over the coming weeks, months, and probably years.
3: I would have loved to have watched the trial, though. It would have been fun. It would have been fun. We would have enjoyed it here in St. Louis, I'll tell you that much. So let's see where that money goes and see if they do it right.